Hello everybody, this is Salil Tripathi from the Institute for Human Rights and Business. I'm in Oslo today in Norway and at the other end of the line I have uh, Rizwana Hassan who is a lawyer and she's an advocate in the Bangladesh courts and she is uh, the executive director of BELA which is the Bangladesh Environmental Lawyers Association. Um, thank you for joining us uh, Rizwana. Um, as you know this, uh, this month June is the fifth anniversary of the UN Guiding Principles for Business and Human Rights and we are having a conversation with a range of experts about their uh, about the principles, about their applicability and usefulness in challenging environments. So um, do you have any broad thoughts on the guiding principles as a way to promote corporate behavior? See when we talk about principles particularly at the international level you always uh, get the politically correct statements. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't uh, get it uh, you know, in as rigorous a form as, as you would expect it to be because it's a compromised position anyway. But it doesn't frustrate you. If I read a document, if I read a UN uh, convention, it does not frustrate me. Right. What frustrates me more is the lack of implementation of it mm -hmm. at the local level, particularly um, in countries like ours. We are having mining companies here who are regardlessly flouting uh, the principles regarding business and human rights. Right. Uh, we are having our own corporations who have their corporate social responsibility. Uh, but um, as far as my experience uh, goes, a large part of it is actually greenwashing, eyewashing. Uh, it's not really taking place in the form of changing the behavior of corporations. So you are producing tobacco, but then you are getting a national award for tree plantation. Mm -hmm. These things are very much contradictory, uh, inherently contradictory. So on one hand, you are destroying the agricultural system of a country because more and more land um, is coming under tobacco cultivation because it's, a, it's considered a cash crop and the farmers actually do not entail that much of a risk if the uh, price of the crop goes down because the tobacco companies would uh, pay them upfront in advance. Mm -hmm. So I would say that, uh, and then on the other hand, you are getting the national award for planting uh, tree. Right. Uh, and and there, is a, there is a vicious cycle also as I can see because we often see one corporation um, giving a award to the other. Right. We have this whole case of uh, genetically modified um, eggplant being, um, you know, tried here in Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. And this is an eggplant that was um, researched upon in India, Philippines and Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. India and Philippines, both their judiciary and their political leadership said no to it. Mm -hmm. But then the company moved to Bangladesh and on the basis of the reports on which India said no and Philippines said no, on the basis of the same report, Bangladesh said yes. The corporation played in such a way mm -hmm. and you know they projected such a rosy picture for the government of Bangladesh, before the government of Bangladesh, that the government of Bangladesh said yes, which is very unlikely. You also come from our part of the world. So Indeed. you know that if something happens in India, it's most likely 
be replicated in Bangladesh in terms of judicial decision and political decision making. Mm -hmm. But it didn't happen. And the next day we saw that um, this, the researcher uh, organization came to Bangladesh and gave an award to the head of our um, government. Right. You see, you see how they play. Mm. And, and ironically enough, Bangladesh said yes to this, despite the fact that it's um, government officials opposed, and despite the fact that Bangladesh didn't say yes reading the whole report, mm. it said yes only by reading the executive summary of the report. Mm -hmm. So this is how they play. When they see that uh, governance is weak in any part of the world, I'm talking about the multinational companies, mm. that governance is weak in any part of the world, they choose that part of the world to be their experiment field. And first time when they give this genetically modified uh, eggplant seed to 20 farmers, 16 of them wrote to the government saying that we incurred loss and we don't really go into it anymore. Right. But then we found a very confident government through a stage show distributed sapling to another 100 farmers. Mm -hmm. And then this year they are planning to give it to 5,000 workers, 5,000 farmers. farmers. And it's all part of an international ploy. And they're just taking advantage of our bad governance, weak governance, malgovernance, however you term it. And of course the ignorance of our people. So this is very interesting because the central premise of the, uh, the, the, the guiding principles rest on three 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 legs of a stool as it were and the first is that there has to be state duty to protect which must continue then comes the corporate responsibility to respect which is not a hierarchy they have to work together um, and which is regardless of the state duty to protect so companies have a responsibility to respect right and then comes the need for a remedy when there are gaps so the way you're describing it is a clear case where the companies need to adhere to their own what is expected of them in terms of uh, corporate responsibility to respect uh, in an environment where the state is failing to protect. So that's very interesting. Uh, the other question I had was about the shipbreaking industry about yes. which uh, you, in, where you have done some work and I mean obviously India, Pakistan and Bangladesh are at the forefront of it in a sense because you have Alang in India, you have Gwadar in Pakistan and you have Chittagong in uh, Bangladesh. Um, and once I was talking to a Bangladeshi activist who was telling me that, yes, it's all very good that um, there is a lot of faker focus, quite rightly, on the garment workers in Bangladesh, particularly after the Tarzin and the Rana Plaza tragedies, uh, workers in this kind of a sector have even greater vulnerabilities. Can you tell a little bit more about that? Okay. Well, the shipbreaking industry, they call it industry, but I have difficulties in calling it an industry. It's actually operating on open beaches. I don't know how many Western countries will, would call an economic activity an industry, which is, um, you know, undertaken on open beaches and which uh, has so much of hazardous waste to uh, dispose of. So I don't call it an industry because of the very nature in which it operates. Indeed. Uh, let, let me just um, try to tell you one thing, um, Salil, that you're calling me from the right place. You're calling me from Norway. Mm -hmm. and Norway has a major role to play here. Right. What happens here is, the, is, is that the ships that are abundant, that will no longer be used, by the developed country ship owners 
are sent to our beaches. When we say our, I mean Bangladesh, I mean Gujarat and I mean Gadani in Pakistan. I don't say the whole of India and there is a rationale behind it. Right. I'm not very sure if the business in its present form of operation will be allowed to operate in Calcutta. Mm -hmm. I'm not very sure whether it will be allowed to operate in Bombay because there was a point of time when Bombay and Calcutta had shipbreaking industry but with uh, increased awareness about environmental protection and labor safety, the business has shifted to Gujarat. And we know that the, as far as I read it in the newspapers and get um, you know clues from uh, media, Gujarat does not really have the best of governance. So it's operating there and it again is on open beaches, at least a large part of it. And when the when the international environmental agencies started terming it as a dumping of hazardous waste by the west to the east, then came the Basel Convention on Transboundary Movement of Hazardous Waste. And an abundant ship which is intended to be dismantled under the Basel Convention has got the status of a waste. It is a waste because it carries many inbuilt toxic hazardous waste, for example asbestos, for which no um, safe limit has been prescribed by the UN health agencies. Even just one dust of asbestos can give you lung cancer. Mm -hmm. These are being sent to our countries. And under the Basel Convention, the European countries actually cannot do it. However, the Basel is not rigid enough on changing of flags. So what's happening is, Ships belonging to Japan, ships belonging to USA, ships belonging to uh, European countries like Norway, they are going to some small island countries, changing their flags, which we call flag of convenience. Right. And so when they end up on our beaches, they don't end up anymore as European beaches, they end up as a ship coming from a small island country. Right. So, uh, and they are being dismantled all by manually and the industry is surviving on the argument of iron supply and on the argument of employment. Here you can clearly see that the ship owners of uh, Europe are categorically avoiding their responsibility of dealing with their own waste in their own territory. Mm -hmm. And the European Union and the developed countries have failed to actually regulate them. Fortunately, the European country, because of much pressure from the NGOs, have come up with a regulation and is planning to come up with a list of facilities only where their ships will be going. Although that's a solution, the dark side of it remains that the flag of convenience issues has not been addressed, yes. which means the European ship owners may still be bringing their ships to Bangladesh by using the flag of convenience. What is needed now to do is to create pressure on the European uh, ship owners mm -hmm. so that they internalize costs. And I was really encouraged to hear this time that the European Union and the European Commission is actually thinking in that line. They're thinking of providing financial incentives. The ships are kept in their part of the world. The other argument on which it is being, um, it, it is being, um, you know, protected in our part of the world is the supply of iron, that we need iron. Yes. Now, how many countries in the world um, have their own iron ore. It's only 20. What about the rest of 194 countries? How are they meeting their demand? And in the case of Bangladesh, 
at least 65% iron is coming from some other source. And this iron that we are getting from the shipbreaking industry is actually not suitable for building structures above four story. Mm -hmm. And think about your own country in um, India. Uh, see, uh, is do you would you suggest that 200 ships would meet the demand of iron in India, is that possible? No way. It's nothing, it's just a ploy. Yeah. It is just, we are selling our poverty and the Western countries are taking advantage of our poverty and instead of regulating their own ship owners, instead of internalizing their the cost, they are allowing their ship owners to bring their ships to Bangladesh. And I tell you, I had a case in the High Court uh, that uh, where, where we got a very good judgment in 2009 and after the judgment thus far 97 workers have died and 113 workers have lost part of their bodies and have become permanently disabled. So I don't call it an employment, I call it an exploitation. No. Now in order to give a greenwash, some some uh, countries, for example, Norway, which is a major shipping country, uh, is supporting a project which is being implemented the Ministry of implemented by the Ministry of Industry in Bangladesh, where civil society has not been consulted, critical voices have not been heard, mm. and I can see that some concretization on the beaches are being termed as improvement. Mm -hmm. Go to Norway, allow their beaches to be concretized and term it, uh, term it an environmentally sound and labor safe dismantling facility? The answer clearly is no. So this shipbreaking industry is a classic example of Western hypocrisy. It is a classic example of West dumping. So our call on the face of all these discrepancies have been to Take the shipbreaking industries off the beach, develop facilities that would contain all the wasted waste, make the dismantling process uh, technology based so that it's no longer manual. The malnourished people from northern part of Bangladesh do not have to come to the southern part of Bangladesh to break ships, ship, a big ship, as big as a ship in just two hundred in just two months. That practice has to stop. We cannot be treated as slaves anymore. Uh, that's very well put and uh, in fact I'm glad you mentioned the instances of 97 worker deaths because when I was in that area which was about two years ago, um, two things were apparent. One was that it clearly seemed very hazardous work. I didn't see people with helmets for example and the other thing I saw was that some people looked very young so it is possible that there is child labor or youth labor being used in this manner. Is that all fair? Uh, if you see the recent documentation that the National Geography has prepared on the sector, it is clear, it is recorded that child laborers are working there. Right, and that's what I thought, yes. And there is no denial of the fact. One can't deny this fact. And, and also it's quite hazardous in the sense that people don't have proper equipment to work with and, and, and uh, uh, in fact, that probably accounts for the deaths you're talking about. Yes, see, proper even if you give them proper equipment, it's a beach and it's muddy. Okay, yes. so if, if there is an accident from an explosion, you will not get an ambulance to enter the beach, number right. one. Number two, you will not be able to set cranes that will allow the heavy parts of the ship 
to be taken to a concretized uh, surface. So even if you give them helmet and hand gloves, that will apparently do some good, but they will be inhaling asbestos all the time. Right. This asbestos is something that Bangladesh cannot handle. And if you see the World Bank report, they have given an alarming figure of the amount of asbestos that Bangladesh will have to deal with. Bangladesh can't deal with one ton of asbestos, not to talk about more than 500 tons. Right. No, this is uh, this is uh, very very um, eye opening, I must say. Now, given that the third prong of the of the guiding principles is the need for remedy, and yes. what they are talking about is that when courts, when when a case goes to court, it might take a long time, and so on. There is need for companies to come up and develop, help develop uh, dispute settlement mechanisms and remedies, so that abuses are not don't happen, and particularly the abuses which are uh, the result of uh, having identified them through a risk and impact assessment and where, uh, uh, where the state has to work with them. Do you think there is scope for any such action in Bangladesh where uh, the companies take a more responsible stance? Uh, I would say no. The reason is you have to differentiate between the garment sector and the shape-breaking industry. Mm -hmm. The garment is a sector where we export. Right. So there, the buyers create a pressure on us to be compliant. On the other hand, this is a sector where wastes are being dumped on our beaches. We are the importer and there is hardly any call on the side of the, on the, side of the importers for improving the uh, situation. That's and number one. Yeah. Number two is, since it is a very strenuous work, you will hardly find any permanent workforce in the shipbreaking industry. You will not find it. The reason is people actually say after breaking three ships, would you be able to continue in this job <laughs> and doing it all manually? You won't be. Yeah. So there is hardly any permanent workforce. The government has not set a minimum wage for this sector. The government's there's hardly any monitoring. Accidents after accidents are taking place and we never get any report from the labor inspection department. So they, these workers have no relief from the government agencies, from the bureaucracy. And the way the bureaucracy is drafting the legal regime, they are actually putting the shipbreakers in charge of all of it. They will be doing their own plan, they will be monitoring their plan, they will be giving compensation, so they are basically putting the uh, fox in charge of the chicken. So here at the national level, I don't see uh, any major improvement taking place in uh, next few years and from international level, uh, the pressure is not uh, that much as you see in the garment sector. Right. In the garment sector, the western buyers are all very careful about not buying sweat cloths. But about sending their ships to Bangladesh, they are very silent. Well, you've just highlighted very clearly how grim the situation is and uh, uh, wish you all the best with your work. And uh, I do hope that uh, the future is brighter. I know it is hard. But all I can say is that it seems that the, in you and in people like you, uh, the workers have a very fine advocate. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you.